When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Black Lives Matter protests are everywhere in places you couldn't have imagined. Zoe Carpenter has that report. She's a contributing writer for The Nation, and she received the James Aronson Award for Social Justice Journalism in 2018. Her writing has also appeared in Rolling Stone and other publications. We reached her today in Portland. Zoe, welcome back. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start in Laramie, Wyoming, 32,000 people. I know it's a university town. That means it has a Black Student Alliance. But the rest of the town has got to be almost all white. What did you find out about protests in Laramie? Well, you're right. Laramie is about 90% white. And like many other small cities and towns across the United States, Laramie had one of these um, surprising and quite large Black Lives Matter protests. And not just one day, but they actually were demonstrating for at least 10 days in a row. Um, And I I spoke with one of the leaders of that um, effort, a a woman named Timberly Vogel. And she has been involved in campus activism for a long time. And Um, One of the things she said was that this was the first time in her experience living in Laramie where something transcended the the boundaries of the campus and got um, involved with the whole town. And and then it really seemed like all of the regular demographic barriers um, to participation really broke down in this particular time. And how about Florence, Alabama? Uh, I know it's it's in northern Alabama on the Tennessee River. I know it as the place where the where you can find the legendary Muscle Shoals Music Studio, revered by people who love uh, music from the late '60s and '70s. The Muscle Shoals Rhythm Section. This is where the Staple Singers recorded "I'll Take You There." The Rolling Stones went to Muscle Shoals to record "Brown Sugar." Paul Simon recorded Loves Me Like a Rock. What's been happening in Florence, Alabama? Well, what I was interested in in Florence is that it's an example of a place where the uprising after the killing of George Floyd has re-injected new energy into sort of pre-existing civil rights struggles or other types of campaigns against uh, police reform or, in the case of Florence, historical memory. Um, So there's a group called Project Say Something that's been working to try to remove or at the very least contextualize a Confederate monument that's there in front of the county courthouse. Um, And that's been a struggle and and it's been difficult to get traction within the community for that. And then now, um, amidst this wave of protest, people are connecting the police brutality in Minneapolis to um, this historical legacy of the Confederacy and and of um, racism and segregation. And so it's, um, I think as we look at these protests that are happening around the country, seeing that they're not only just expressions of solidarity, um, but they're also, you know, connecting 
the sort of big overarching struggle for racial justice with these very local ongoing battles. So there were marches in Florence protesting the Confederate statue. What's happened there with the statue? Well, so so the marches, just to clarify, um, they were they were broader. They were um, protesting the death of George Floyd and other people who've been killed by police. Um, and, and the statue aspect of it was kind of folded in with this larger uh, these larger demonstrations about racial injustice and police brutality. One of the things that happened was that there was a public meeting of the county commissioners um, that was happening around these demonstrations. And they actually had to move to a larger room because there were so many people who wanted to speak out against the monument and to advocate for moving it. So the county commissioners um, are the ones that have the power and the jurisdiction. And there's a pretty strong campaign of advocacy to get them to move it. It's, it's not clear yet whether they'll do that. Um, in, a, in effect, they're hiding behind a state law that protects monuments. But the organizers of the, of the campaign to move the, the monument have been raising funds to pay any fines they're related. And um, it's a problem that the, the commission could solve if it chose to. I also want to ask you about Klamath Falls, Oregon. This is the town for Crater Lake National Park, which is a wonderful place. But, you know, this part of Oregon, there's a lot of, lot of white men with guns. What's been happening in Klamath Falls? Well, Klamath Falls is really interesting. As you said, it's a lot of white men with guns, and, and they, they showed up um, in part because of rumors which have been sweeping suburban communities as well as rural communities about, you know, quote unquote, Antifa showing up. Um, and it's, it's interesting if you look at the, the way that these rumors are being spread. It's as if Antifa with a capital A is some sort of organized terrorist group that's coming to these towns. And of course, you know, listeners to this podcast will probably know that it just means anti-fascist and any of us can be anti-fascist. But so these rumors have been sweeping small towns about busloads of anti-fascist activists coming to riot and wreak havoc upon these uh, unsuspecting rural places. And of course, those are fictitious, but the response has been that militia members and other, other people with guns in some cases, um, in other cases, sometimes with Confederate flags, are showing up to def- quote unquote, defend their small towns. And there's a really interesting dissonance between what they expect um, and, and what they see, which is in most cases, large peaceful demonstrations composed of multi-generations of people, um, multi-racial groups, uh, kids, dogs, you know, grandparents, teenagers, just really diverse protests here. So in Klamath Falls, what happened was the small group of protesters essentially had to walk down the street in between rows of men, many of them with guns. Um, and one of the, the people that I spoke with said that he felt very threatened um, as you know, a black man living in this incredibly white town uh, with all of these men with guns standing around. But you know, he carried on with the march. And uh, when they got to their destination, there was a huge crowd waiting there of, of Black Lives Matter demonstrators. And it was a really, he said, uh, ultimately a very positive experience to feel like there were more people than he perhaps expected who were willing to stand up for racial justice and who cared about the issue in this community. And since then, have the uh, white men with guns continued to uh, try to intimidate Black Lives Matter protesters? 
You know, according to the participant that I spoke with, he said that they've gone away and that um, his interpretation was that they had been made to look sort of silly. You know, they showed up expecting a war. And of course, what they saw were just regular citizens there to, you know, exercise their um, right to, to protest. So they've largely gone away and that public space has been maintained by the Black Lives Matter protesters. And I think that's one of the really important aspects of this is, especially in um, rural areas that have a conservative reputation, is just kind of changing what is normative there and uh, what people feel comfortable saying and doing in public and, and reclaiming the public space. And then you wrote about a place I never heard of, Vidor, Texas. 11,000 people. I learned it's a former Ku Klux Klan haven. Texas Monthly described it as the state's most hate-filled town in the 1990s. How are things going for Black Lives Matter in Vidor, Texas? Well, yeah, this is another place where we are seeing a at least a temporary reclamation of space that has long been defined by segregation and brutal racism. You know, as you said, Vidor, Texas has a reputation for being an extremely racist place in terms of policies, things like housing segregation, but also just in terms of interpersonal relationships. And so when a young woman started trying to organize a uh, racial justice uh, demonstration there, some people in the area thought it was a trick. And you know, someone tweeted uh, something to the effect of, black people know not to even stop for gas there. Mm. Why would we show up to a protest? But it actually wasn't a trick. It, it was a real demonstration. and. I believe somewhere between 100 and 200 people showed up. And, you know, that doesn't mean that problems in a place like Vidar are solved. I think we should be clear about the, the sort of limits of just showing up to a protest or two. But it definitely was, a, a, again, a change of what people thought of as, as normative and accepted um, in that area. One thing that I found really interesting was the degree to which um, all of these places have their own local struggles for civil rights and racial justice and that um, what is a huge national movement or really an international movement in, in some ways um, is also hyper local. And I think that's part of the power is uh, people are being inspired and um, fired up by what's happening around the country, but they're really trying to channel that huge energy into very, in some cases, narrow and specific requests for policy change at a local level. And so I think that's what I'm interested in paying attention to going forward is the extent to which this energy can actually translate into policy change. And that's gonna be a very long process. Everyone I spoke with recognized that the marches themselves were a beginning of a conversation and a beginning of, you know, finding allies and, and finding ways to connect and um, combine energy. But that when we're talking about dismantling residential segregation, for example, and changing housing policies or reforming police forces, those are incredibly complicated tasks or well, not complicated. We can do them, but politically thorny um, with lots of challenges. You end your report for The Nation with a wonderful quote from a 78-year-old woman interviewed uh, at a rally in a place called Anna, Illinois. Tell us about that. So this is Mildred Henderson, who is a 78-year-old woman and a veteran activist. So she's been involved in, in other civil rights struggles throughout her life. And she said, I've never seen so many white people give a darn about Black people. <laughs> okay. um, and to me, that really that sums up a lot here. I think 
this has been described as an awakening for many people. Um, and I think that's true, but I think most of the people who weren't awake before were white people. I think, you know, what I'm hearing from, from the black people that I interviewed is, you know, this is not, of course, this isn't new for us. This is not, um, the people that are being awoken are the white people who have um, been able to ignore these kind of systemic injustices. And, and that's what's the huge, I think, shift here is that suddenly people in these white communities um, are realizing that, you know, silence is complicity and lack of action never changes anything. And I, I think, you know, we're seeing this corresponding shift in public opinion about Black Lives Matter. And we have some polling results about popular support for Black Lives Matter and, and these issues. Uh, tell us what we know about that now. For example, a poll released in the first week of June shows that 76% of Americans um, and 71% of white people uh, describe racial discrimination in the United States now as a big problem. And that's up 25 points from 2015. Uh, we're also wow. seeing, yeah, um, more than 60% of white respondents in another recent poll said that they felt the justice system is biased in their favor. Um, and that's again up almost 20 points from five years ago. So I, I think we should see this in part a response to the significant amount of organizing work that's been done by racial justice groups in the past uh, five years or so. And, and it's not just an accident. I think it really reflects not only the um, increased visibility and brutality of the type of violence that we're seeing, uh, for example, in the death of George Floyd, but also organizing work that's, that's really taking place and, um, and that people have been focusing on for a long time. So I think we should, I just think it's important to recognize how much uh, organizing work has been done and is being done uh, and the way that that connects to what we're seeing now. Zoe Carpenter, she wrote for The Nation about how Black Lives Matter protests are everywhere. You can read her at thenation.com. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.